0: On this episode, I interview Rob McDonald, an attorney and one of the founders of The Brandery, which is a Cincinnati-based startup accelerator. We talk about many things, failure in the venture capital world, and whether or not Cincinnati should have a fail-fest. Let's get started. Failing. Failing.
1: Failing. I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I, I had
0: to make I some decisions. Tough. Tough. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me. This is awesome.
0: I'm so excited. So uh, just for a little bit of background for our listeners, tell us where you grew up. You can get into schools, but whatever you think is super interesting. Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, I (laughs) mainly grew up in Japan. So most of my upbringing was in like six or seven years in Japan and then like four or five in the Philippines and then uh, a couple in Belgium and a couple in the UK and Toronto. So kind of all over.
0: Okay. I did not know that you grew up.
1: Yeah, you know, in Japan. you know, it's funny when I came to the U.S. to go to college, I was part of the Asian Student Association because I grew up in Asia. And back then, if you came from Asia, they just assumed you were Asian. But but you're not Asian. I'm then. not. Yeah. And eventually they, they booted me from the association. <laughs> <laughs> I just stopped getting the emails.
0: That's so funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so did you come? Did you? So were you here in high school in the U.S.? No,
1: I came. So I never went to school in the U.S. till college. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay, where'd you go to undergrad?
1: Uh, Duke. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And then what happened after school?
1: Yeah, so moved to New York for a couple years, did some advertising for um, brands like Skittles and Starburst, and then moved and realized, you know, I was calling our lawyers all the time, like, Mm -hmm. hey, can you guys help us with this? They were always just telling me not to do things. So I was like, this is easy. I'm going to go to law school. So I went to law school at WashU in St. Louis, um, did some clerkships kind of around the U.S., a little bit at the... SEC and DC, and then came to Cincinnati.
0: Did you think that you were going to be a lawyer when you were younger?
1: I did, yeah. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, yeah. Because I, and this is stupid, but everybody says you're really good at arguing with people. You should be a lawyer. So, like, (laughs) as a kid, I was like, oh, I should be a lawyer. I'm good at arguing with people.
0: Okay, where were you in as a kid, like in the family? What number? So, I'm
1: the second child. I have an older sister. Um, She's the book smart one, and I'm the one who kind of argued my way through school. I
0: don't know. I think you're probably pretty book smart, too. Thanks a Book lot. smart, too, if you went to Duke and Wash U. I mean, please.
1: I, I got a little lucky.
0: Okay. All right. Okay, so then you moved to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You go to law school, then moved to Cincinnati to work right. here? Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So I moved here because I clerked for the Bengals. Um, oh. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah, so Troy Blackburn was a Duke guy, and I wrote him a cold letter and when I was um, in between jobs in New York and said, you know, I'm really not loving my my work in New York. I'd love to clerk for you for the summer. So then I moved um, here for a summer and worked for Troy doing...
0: What does Troy do? I don't know. Yeah, what he he's the vice Bangles. president
1: at the Bengals. So, okay. b- I mean, pr- I, that title might undermi- undermine his true role. Um, but he and Katie, um, Katie Blackburn are married and then basically run the team. Um, okay. And, you know, he's you know all wears all hats so doing the leases dealing with the marketing contracts player contracts um but yeah it was a great experience you know it was my first experience the law in a legal capacity so that's what really made me come back to what was it
0: about that experience that helped later on
1: um gosh that was where i really learned how to do contract drafting you know and it started with the basics. Troy would really run me through the process, but it started with player contracts, and the NFL has pretty formulaic player contracts. So that was how I got into form drafting, and you know, started corporate legal work.
0: Okay, so worked at the Bengals, and then what?
1: Um, so then was finishing law school, and clerked for the law firm Taft, which is where I am now, um, and you know, I loved it. I loved Cincinnati. You know, after living in New York, DC, Boston, I just loved the quality of life here
0: yeah that's what i was going to ask you what was it that
1: you loved yeah you know i kind of got burnt out in new york um it was just a tough lifestyle um it was difficult to balance work and life and in it's a very expensive city and and i tried chicago and dc which were kind of like junior new yorks and eventually ended up here and i saw in this is back in 2009 when we didn't really have much going on and so saw that there was some true potential here, and then we launched the Brandery in 2010, and that's really, like, which kind of made me fall in love with Cincinnati. Um, that was our, our give back to the city and, you know, what really made me stick with Cincinnati.
0: Okay, so tell us about the Brandery and also maybe share, like, how that concept became.
1: Sure. Yeah, so the brand is a seed stage, seed stage accelerator. Um, we take 10 companies usually every year, invest $50,000 into each of them, and then run them through a 16-week program. At the end, we try to get them as much investment as we can. Um, so we've had seven classes, um, or we seven or eight, gosh, I can't even remember now. Sorry. Right. We have 80 companies now. And um, some, of course, a lot have failed. Some have done great. Some have exited. Um, And so the way we came up with the idea, and I'm really not the idea guy, I have to say. I'm more the guy who's like, that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. (laughs) Um, But I got beers with uh, my two co-founders, JB Krop and Dave Knox, and they both were part of the tech ecosystem loosely back then. Um, Dave was at P&G Digital, and JB was at uh, Vitru and Twitter, uh, later Twitter. And we all were thinking, you know, we have these great universities here with great entrepreneurship programs, but nobody stays here. Everybody wants to get out of town. And if they stay, they're not doing entrepreneurship. So what can we do to help bolster a tech ecosystem? And at the time, accelerators were somewhat a new idea. And they were doing, they had Techstars in Boulder and they had Mm -hmm. Y Combinator in Silicon Valley. And Dave and JB had some connections at both of them. So we we called them and said, hey, bring this accelerator to Cincinnati. We'll find a way to help fund it. And of course, they were like, no, (laughs) not interested. Um, But if you're going to do it, focus on your strengths. So find the strengths of your city and really leverage those. So we were probably one of the first accelerators that really had a thematic focus. We were really focused on brand, design, marketing user experience
0: is it still that the same way
1: it is yeah we still we still are pretty focused in that area i think we've broadened a little bit we just really focus on finding companies that we think we can give an unfair advantage to Mm -hmm. so what is it about cincinnati or the brandry or or the network around us that can really help a company so we've looked at companies that are like really great companies but we've decided not to accept them because It wouldn't be one that we could help that another ecosystem wouldn't be able to help.
0: So Wiser is a great example of a a company that you all helped. And wow, that's on another podcast um, that you can listen to. But I love that example of how you guys were able to help her and that concept.
1: We love Wiser and Natasia. Yeah, so I think where we found really good strength is in B2B2C companies. Okay. So if you could take a really good B2B company and layer a consumer brand on it, like, that's a really interesting space for us because most B2B businesses, the brand is irrelevant.
0: Yeah. Okay, how do you balance the, like, you've got a nine-to-five job. You work in a law firm, which is pretty traditional, <laughs> and I know Taft is unconventional in many things, but mm-hmm. how do you balance doing both, and were they cool with that?
1: Yeah, they were super cool with it, and surprisingly so. Um, so this was 2009, 2010, so the economy wasn't, you know booming at that time obviously we were you know coming out of the recession mm-hmm. so i i think on the legal front there was probably less like stress at work and t- around how many hours are you billing um and i think they also saw potential that this was really important for cincinnati and so they I, frankly the firm was very hands-off about it and okay. i was very lucky and fortunate that they let me just kind of do it um the first couple of years it was very hands-on it was you know 30% of my time maybe more um, lately we have great team and so it's usually 10 to 20% of my time so it's not a significant balancing act Okay. I also don't have kids so that's you a little easier yeah. yeah and I just got married too so congratulations yeah thank you yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> because we had another guest in here and she was talking about the fact that today you know you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into just one thing and I, I love that whole concept like mm-hmm. I mean for me Doing these podcasts is not my bread and butter. I'm right. doing it because it's my jam and I love it. Right. It's, you know, my side hustle, right? Right. So for you, the brandery was a little bit of a side hustle?
1: That's right. I So I'm technically a millennial by some estimations, yes. depending on how you look at it. But I'm like the back end of it. Yeah. Or, you know, like the front end Do you, the you relate of to it? it? To I think millennial? I do. I, I find myself very defensive over those articles that give millennials a hard time. Yeah. So I guess that means I'm like a wannabe millennial or a millennial. <laughs> yeah. Um, (laughs)
0: I'm Gen X, but I really, there are some characteristics of millennial, Mm -hmm. millennials that I like love. I'm like, oh, (laughs) but I don't know if it is me, probably not. I just respect it and I love it.
1: But we definitely want to make our own careers. And I mean, that's, you see that with millennials hopping from job to job. You see it with the side hustle type stuff. You know, more people want to make a job rather than take a job. And Mm. so I think that was somewhat true with me too. The millennial thing is tough because the millennials take so much heat all the time for not having loyalty to their job and all this stuff. But at the same time, millennials came out of college, a lot of them, and there were no opportunities in 2008, (laughs) 2009, 2010. And then, like, three years removed from that, when you get your resume in front of people, they're like, what were you doing? I was like, well, I was a server. Well, there was no other opportunity then, sure. so um, or I and worked on a failed startup.
0: That's that's actually common with when I got out of college. The job market was terrible too. Yep. Um, and I can remember my dad being like, "Just take any job you can find, because you're going to get insurance, and that's all that matters." <laughs> and frankly, it wasn't the job that I loved. Right. It didn't fit my strength zone at
1: all. Right.
0: And I lasted there for like two years, and I was miserable. Yeah,
1: it's not good training. No. Yeah.
0: No. I learned what I didn't want to do.
1: Right. Which. That's I That's important. Yeah. That's important.
0: Um, Okay. Uh, So, when earlier when we were talking about startups... Oh. um, The other thing around millennials that I've been reading is that there are less startups um,
1: Hmm.
0: by millennials. They have statistics around this, and they say the number one reason is fear of failure. Huh. Do you find that to be true or not true?
1: Not at all. Okay. Um, So, my experiences with, like, startup data are... Like they don't always jive because my anecdotal experiences are just very broad. um so when when we accept companies, the ages of the founders range pretty widely. Yeah, so we've had companies come in at 17 that was the youngest we had to get parental guidance forms for those no guys way. yeah they dropped out of harvard princeton and mit to come to the brandry at 17. wait
0: i heard their pitch
1: this is the flight card team yes yeah they were awesome do
0: you know i have a picture of them on my phone still that i found like a month ago that's awesome isn't that weird
1: yeah they were great loved them yeah. um but then we've had we've had 50 year olds and 55 year olds usually you know the the mean and the median are you know much much lower okay
0: but, so do you, so for you your belief is mm, this concept around like fear of failure or um failure adverse yep wouldn't be true for a generation i like, don't
1: think it's a broad truth for the generation okay yeah.
0: so for ours what would you say about your dad
1: oh uh, yeah failure failure there is a different is a different breed you know so my dad was a png guy so again anecdotally this is like very rigid failure is you know un- unwilling to take certain risks for sure mm-hmm. um and there certainly was this i felt like there was this top-down baby boomers teaching millennials and maybe gen wires gen Xers, like not to fail right like the yeah. expectation for, on the hope front was you're not supposed to fail and, and we're going
0: to do anything we can to prevent you from failing.
1: Yeah. The, right? The concept of, like, getting a bad grade was, like, the the ultimate failure, right? And the F on the report card. Right. And, like, so training the cycle of, like, every quarter not failing, and then you go to college. You're, I don't know. So it seemed very top-down to me on that.
0: Yeah. I'm, definitely for my parents, it was very very failure averse like you didn't mm-hmm. take jobs like that you didn't make financial decisions around that,
1: that there could, was also an like a lack of acknowledgement when you did fail like yeah. um you know if i have you know if people did fail at something like it's almost like you didn't talk about it right or or look at it yeah you know?
0: and in the startup world mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> some people it's a badge of honor to have a failure there to. certainly
1: is a badge of honor you know there's an expectation that you have to have some adversity to succeed. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about celebrating failure, and, and um, does I that don't know. happen? Not really. Yeah. Um, not here. So at they least. talk about it, but yeah. And you know, I wish there was more assessment on the back end. Usually, after a startup failure, as investors or as brandy, um, you know, mentors, we kind of look at it and say you know just we have our reason for what the failure was and i will ascribe that reason in less than 10 seconds mm. right i won't really do a thorough assessment of why there was that failure um usually it's like oh the team fell apart or you know they ran out of money you know whatever the reason is and that's just we'll stick with it that's yeah. going to be the reason forever
0: that's kind of a good opportunity there
1: there should be more analysis right? there yeah
0: i read this article that mm. out in california Obviously, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. They had failure conferences.
1: Yep. we Do you had know those? about this? We've had some of those in the Midwest. For real? Yeah, there was a fail fest in Indy. Stop. Yeah. That's the name. Yeah, fail fest. We um, need a
0: fail fest Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, we we've talked about it. Oh I think they did God. it for like two or three years. Um,
0: well, I read that Silicon Valley, they stopped it because they said that people were, they, they achieved their goal of people being comfortable with um, accepting and yep. sharing failures. Yep. So they stopped the conference. But I was thinking, do you think in Cincinnati mm-hmm. people are comfortable with sharing their failures?
1: Mm. Not, not really. You know, I think my experience in Cincinnati has been when people fail, they leave town.
0: Seriously? Yeah, I,
1: that's the, that's the most common outcome if they're not, especially if they're not from here. They're not from here. So most of the brandy companies are from out of town. So okay. If they're here for a couple of years and they fail, it is more it is most common for them to leave town, okay. which is a problem.
0: Right, because we want to retain them.
1: Yeah, and the best way to do that is to find them a spouse.
0: <gasps> and then they stay because yeah. the spouse wants to stay. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, that's funny. That's
1: interesting. Yeah, you know, on the fail fest side. I have gone through cycles of how I feel about it. Yeah, um, tell me. So I think there was a period where I was like, "Oh, we got to celebrate this and have a fail fest and get everybody up on an open mic to talk about it and, and things like that." Yeah. But I've kind of moved to the point of view where it's like, "You failed, you know? Congratulations. Let's focus on something else. Yeah. Let's get going. Yeah. Um, I really don't like to dwell on it, and I sometimes wonder if the fail fests. Dwell. Make you dwell on it.
0: That's why when we chose the word "failing forward," yep. it's not the dwelling on the forward piece. Is like, okay, what are we doing differently next time? Right? How did that? How did that failure take you to success in the
1: future? I much prefer that approach. I do too. Yeah.
0: Um, you know what's interesting? Also, when I have asked a couple women to mm-hmm. be on the podcast, I've had no's. Hmm. I've had more yeses from men. Yep. And less yes is from women. Huh.
1: Do you have a theory on why?
0: Yes. (laughs) But I don't know if it's true.
1: Uh, It could be random.
0: And They were older. Let me just say that. It could be random. It could be generational. It could be generational. And it could be the industry that they're in. That
1: absolutely could be true.
0: That it's unacceptable to admit failure because then you might, they, you know.
1: Is the the reaction the societal or investor reaction to women failing different than the societal reaction to men failing? I I would guess yes. Yeah, I would guess there's probably some unconscious bias there or implicit bias related to women failing versus men. Yeah, I buy that.
0: I do too.
1: Yeah, I mean, broadly in venture capital, it's it's more difficult to be funded as a woman founder it is. Period. Yeah. I mean the data
0: okay, why? very much shows that. why? do you, that. you think that? Are oh, there gosh. less women doing it? So it's like a numbers oh, game. Oh, absolutely.
1: There's less women investors, no question. So, um in, you know, there's been a lot of talk especially recently about um, the bro culture of venture capital. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little not to tout, you know, ourselves, but I think that's a little less prevalent in the Midwest because I think um in the valley it's a much more institutionalized Process and you know the the sons of the dads that were working at Intel mm-hmm. and you know on Sand Hill Road back when the chip makers were out there like that was a very male dominated culture I assume like the like almost like the Mad Men '60s style like IBM type company into the venture capitalists whereas here our venture capital industry is very young so. I think that, you know, and a lot of this has been talked about more recently. So I think there is more acknowledgement. And also, a lot of the venture capital in the Midwest is driven by government. Okay. So, um, and I think within government, there's more recognition that there needs to be diversity of the principles investing. Sure. But we still have a long way to go here, too.
0: And do you feel like it's shifted, like in the last 10 years?
1: yeah I think there. I hope that there's significant changes given all the sexual harassment and sexual assault stuff that's happened in the valley um and I think you know there is acknowledgement here especially you know when we're looking at our companies we're definitely looking for diversity we spend a lot of time going to um my, you know, conferences. Like, for example, when we met Natasha, we met her at a conference that was for minority founders. Oh,
0: it was. Yeah, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so we we try to go to those conferences to find diverse talent. Yeah. I mean, our general thesis is, is that if you have diversity of thought, you'll have better innovation.
0: Yeah, and I I do think that there's a there is truth behind. Um, you you tend to do business with the people that you like that's and that right. you're friends with. Yep um and i have I have made a conscious effort, and I'm not great about this, but I grew up in a very white insular world mm-hmm. um, and I've really tried to um, create relationships with people outside of that that small circle. but it takes right. effort,
1: oh yeah, my background's a little weird because you know, growing up in Japan, I was the minority right <sighs> and um but my school was predominantly Indian, but you know we had pretty significant diversity in terms of nationality and culture ethnicity religion um language but coming here you know i have you know i've had the benefits of being you know the white male here for you know almost 15 years now yeah um so it's it's kind of a different perspective but i still think that like some of those implicit biases are, are still there there's a lot of talk about how and it's more of a joke but in silicon valley like you have to wear like your your patagonia vest if you're a venture capitalist <laughs> and i have patagonia vests and i'm like dang it. Like <laughs> I am. And the, you're like, I I'm, like my
0: Patagonia vest. I'm yeah, not getting rid of my Patagonia vest. Right. It's I like an, an Onion Patagonia article. I before.
1: Every time I wear it to like a meeting to a pitch, I'm like, oh man, I gotta uh, get a new vest. That's so fun. I would never know that. Yeah. It's super, it's super cheesy.
0: You don't have it on today.
1: This is pretty, this is pretty, pretty venture capital-y. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You'll see that picture, Rob. Awesome. <laughs> All right, so, so here here's our lightning round, but it's not really lightning okay. round. Um if there was one thing that humbled you, brought you to your knees, that you think is really important to share, yep. what
1: would it be? Um so the failure that impacted me the most was not um a brandy company. It was a local startup though and I was helping the company with legal. We had invested um and I was you know pretty active with the founder we were very close and you know this founder ended up getting fired by the board and it put for me it was a very it was like three months of just absolute stress because i was the lawyer and i was also but i felt some um loyalty to the founder even though i represented the company and then to have to go to the board meeting where he was being canned and then go through the whole process legally of trying to save this company um and you know, in those instances, there's threats of litigation, there's there's um threats of fraud, you know, you know, alleging fraud. And so I was grinding my teeth every single night and the company ultimately failed and there was I had great hope for the company too. So that's I don't really want to get into the name too much on that. No, but, don't um that's the But
0: was he like your friend too? Oh
1: yeah, still is. Yeah.
0: How did you do deal with that?
1: It was it was tough. There was a dividing line between, you know, friendship and in business and un- unfortunately with all of the failures we've experienced at the Brandry, too, the relationships get rocky and it's really difficult to um to, you know, to look at somebody the same way. Sometimes you feel abandoned. Mm. Um so there's been a couple companies that we've invested in or that we, th- that have been through the Brandry process that We've been very supportive of, and then you know the, the the founders feel like we've abandoned them, but we feel like they're abandoning us. So that's that's the personal side of the that business is the hardest part for me.
0: And so, how do you balance that? Because you have to have the relationship side, but I feel like having so many experiences now, you also have to have a little bit of a guard up.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to get more mature, honestly. Like, um, if my 2018 goal, and me, I'm starting this month, is to be less emotional about yeah. it. Um, Because uh, the emotionality brings, you know, unnecessary dialogue and unnecessary angst, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I've tried to do is just move on (laughs) quicker and to accept, you know, the outcomes as uncontrollable, um, not personal. Right. And the the part where I get frustrated is where the actions of the company are diametric to what we are suggesting or or diametrically opposed to what we are suggesting. Yeah, yeah. Or where the founders don't seem to be responding to our feedback. I mean, obviously the founders know stuff that we don't know cuz they're in their day-to-day. And so who are we to like really provide a ton of advice? But yeah. you know, we've seen a couple startups so we think we know what we're talking about. And we, you know, it's a lot easier from the investor hat from the sideline
0: to me it's like parenting almost and i hate to use that word because it sounds like child parent but you you have to be a guide yep for them
1: there's certainly uh you know a teacher pupil or parent you know kid type relationship at times and we try to i mean that sounds a little pejorative so but like we try not to Be like top down like that, and we're also never the biggest investor. We're always a smaller check, so the lead investor should be the board should be running things. We're never we never sit on the board, okay, and so we're not really responsible in in the same way that you have those fiduciary duties on the board. But you know, we'd like to think that we could be helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I take things very personally, and that's a big. That's a big problem for me. So
0: you're a super smart person and I'm sure you've read or talked to people about that. So what would be some tips around how to be less emotional or not take it personal that you, cause you said 2018 is your goal around this. So what would yep. be helpful for listeners?
1: Yeah. So I've, what I have done is, so I'm pretty active on email and yeah. when I get fired up on email, that's a big problem. So, um, what I've tried to do is write emails and just save them in my draft folder. Awesome. Yeah. And so I've got a bunch of emails in my draft folder that I've never sent that nobody should read. When
0: are you going to delete them? Yeah,
1: they they get deleted they periodically. Do? Yeah, okay. And then I rely on other people. So, um, working with um, you know the team at Brandry, So Tony, our GM, I talk to him. He gets to hear me moan more than anybody. Yeah. Um, and so so sounding board. he is my sounding board, and he's also like the filter for me. Yeah. So he'll say no, you can't send that. Um, and then Maggie Muthing at Taft is another good sounding board for me. Okay. She'll She's she'll colleague there. Colleague at Taft, yeah, and just really smart and very even keel. So finding the people that are even keel and relying on them.
0: Yeah, because I I do want to say like your emotion part of it is what makes you so special
1: because oh, you I don't know about that. you get
0: passionate about it and then you'll get people, you can influence others to invest in them. I mean
1: We try to. Yeah.
0: That's your strength. If we're so going to about it, it,
1: we're push we're going to push it as hard as we can. And Yeah.
0: We wanted- I mean, Natasha shared with yeah. us that she, because I said, well, what happened after you finished the brandery? Yep. You, you know, she had no money, I know. like no money. She said, well, the brandery helped us um, get our first million dollar investment.
1: We tried to. That was that was a tough one. Um, I mean, every deal is a little different, right? Um, so an investor g- takes interest in a company. And then our job is to try to help the company close. But inevitably, all of these startups have issues whether it be we have accounts payable that we haven't paid off we've got a founder who departed six years ago that you know didn't we didn't clean up their equity when they left um we have an uh, employee that's alleging sexual harassment whatever it is these all happen so for each of those deals it's always like what's the straw that's going to break the camel's back you know you have to disclose be totally transparent that is one thing that we preach at brandry we find that you know, a lot of startups try to hide some of these things. Yeah. And it's like, no, you got to... But by law, by the way, you have to be honest, right? And so we try to get out in front things. of all that. Sorry? I didn't even think
0: about all those things.
1: Well, you know, raising money is is very um, legally nuanced. Um,
0: and emo- it's to me... Because uh, we tried to raise money yep. for another business. Oh, my God. <laughs> it
1: sucks. It's hard. <laughs> it is really You're, hard. you
0: like naked in front of them.
1: It's a skill. And so some founders we I always say that there's three ways to raise money traction so like there's somebody out there that just you know is using your product on a regular basis Yeah. users um, the other is revenue so like we actually are bringing in money yep. and that's not necessarily related to traction because sometimes you have the user base without the revenue but you can monetize them later Okay. then last play- way is vision and that's the way most early stage founders try to go about it like here's what i'm thinking here's what i want to do i don't have any traction i don't have any revenue that's that is really difficult there are people in town that can do that so like chris bergman from chore monster he's he's the example i use all the time like like hey we're going to create an app to help kids and parents interact around chores like i want to raise some money he went out and raised the money just telling the story which is pretty astounding
0: I've heard wonderful things about him too. he's a great
1: guy you should have him on the podcast
0: I actually um, a friend was going to connect me with him I'm going to do heard, that yeah. All right, you do that that's yeah. even
1: better yeah. yeah
0: yeah. okay this is awesome um, I loved that so write emails and draft leave them there or delete them sounding board yep. and then did you say third
1: I should have a third
0: right because we always do things uh, yeah, like threes I guess
1: like boxing <laughs>
0: ah! so exercise
1: <laughs> working out yeah for yes. sure yeah okay no, I will say during that the failure that was the one that hit me the most that I was explaining a little bit about, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about that when I was hitting the punching bag. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I did find some relief in that.
0: The visualization. Not a
1: lot, but a little bit of relief. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not
0: a lot. And then sometimes it's just time. Right? Yeah.
1: You got to grind your teeth. I mean, it happens. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. It happens to everybody. Yeah. Well, this has been super cool. I know people are going to find especially that venture capital world because not a whole lot of people hear about it all the time, and it's super sexy and interesting. so
1: well we we need we need more of it, and we're working on it awesome. Well, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun, thanks, Rob. yeah. great to see you.
0: you too. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bulkey, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. Failure causes stress, but what steps do we take to take care of ourselves? My next guest, Anya Land, she shares some personal stories, but also how she took personal ownership and some tools that she used to check in on herself.